Cinema Sit Down, Episode 229, A Review of Gangs of New York, hosted by Ryan Bull, Richard Lusk, and Tony Christ, February 14th, 2020. The following podcast has been approved for all audiences by Flying Bull Productions. best part of any film is the sit-down afterwards. Richard Losk and Ryan Bull bring you Cinema Sit-Down. Welcome to Cinema Sit-Down. We are drawing to a close our three-part Martin Scorsese retrospective. Uh, as always, there are three hosts joining us at the table. First up is me, Ryan Bull. Across from me is Richard Lusk. How are you, sir? What up, G? And we have the one, the only, Tony Christ. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, we've probably been covering your favorite director, Martin Scorsese, on uh, the last two episodes. We've done Who's That Knocking at My Door and then Goodfellas. And today we're going to finish up by looking at the 2002 film, Gains of New York. You want to, Do you want to tell us a little bit about it, Tony? Definitely. So, yeah, Gains of New York... Like you said, it came out in 2002, directed by Martin Scorsese, um, and stars Leonardo DiCaprio. And I think, I know he'd been around for a while, but this is kind of his turning point, I would say, from being just a teen kid actor to being like a serious Oscar contender type actor that we kind of know him as today. Um, it stars him, uh, Cameron Diaz, and Daniel Day-Lewis. It takes place uh, during the Civil War uh, in America and its rival gangs and really a lot of immigration issues between uh, the Irish Catholics who are coming to America versus the native Protestant uh, Americans at this point and kind of their uh, fight with each other over what they call the five points of New York. It's kind of where the five territories in New York City all hit each other yeah it's the original gangster film really in a lot of ways yeah because w- w- when gains were real and gains were terribly terribly violent yeah because you've got the uh the irish here uh who had the kind of their own mob but then quickly or not quickly but at one point new york becomes known for the italian mobs and so you've mm-hmm. got this you know which is going to be after in 1863 the italians are going to come over in the 1920s or so Yeah, originally when this movie was announced that Scorsese was doing it, people were incredibly happy that he was going back to doing a gangster film. Uh, You know, just hearing the title, Gangs of New York, they're like, oh, this will be great. And then when people found that it was going to be a period piece, um, there was a tempering of expectations. And then also famously, this film got delayed for a little over a year due to the 9-11 attacks. And there were... A lot of interesting reviews, if people go back and read them, uh, we weren't sure what to make about this. People weren't sure, you know, do we want to have this story set in New York that's a celebration of violence? Um, I I think there's a lot of good stuff to get into. I I really like this spot in uh, history and a lot of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes with making this film. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to pick this film to look at as opposed to some of Scorsese's other films. So, Lust, what what did uh, you think of this film? This movie was probably one of my favorite movie experiences in a theater that I can remember. Um, 
you know, in the last 20 years or so because of the, I think because of the opening sequence, Mm -hmm. which happens with uh, where we meet uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's dad. Priest Fallon. Priest Fallon played by uh, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson, thank sorry. you. <laughs> I got my notes yeah. here. Sorry to he's jump not, on He it. doesn't play... Yeah, sorry. He doesn't... You know, he's only in for this opening sequence here, but it sets the tone for the rest of the movie. And uh, I think it's all pre-title sequence. I I, I think it starts right out, right after the... Uh, I guess the Miramax label comes on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then it, it, it has this glorious opening fight sequence that... Again, like I said, it sets the tone. It's just the violence of it, the the production values, the, the sort of the choreography, and it it establishes all of the major characters, with the exception of Cameron Diaz. But it it sets up all of the major characters for the rest of the movie. Um, no, exactly. In the very motivation. well, their motivations, their actions, their behaviors. You know, it. it and it also puts you right in that setting. I mean, if you were unaware of what Gangs of New York was going to be, if you if you were expecting something more like uh, Goodfellas or some other you know gangster movie, you be totally become immersed in this movie. And it, and it, I don't know, kind of set me on fire to enjoy the rest of the movie. So seeing it in the movie theater, which I guess. It's kind of hard to do nowadays, but seeing it and experiencing it for the first time was one of my favorite experiences that I can remember. This is one of the, I think the first Scorsese movie I saw in theaters. Uh, the other ones we've talked about, I was not born yet for um, Who's That Knocking at the Door? And I was, you know, seven, I think, when Goodfellas came out. But this one, I had seen Goodfellas and thought, oh, Scorsese, I want to go see this one. And like you would mentioned, Bull, in the uh, opening, that this was you know, delayed by 9-11. This is, I remember like this, because I think we, we, you and I were seniors in high school, but it was this and, um, and um, like Spider-Man. There was a couple of movies that really mm-hmm. kind of quickly got affected by 9-11 uh, in terms of what they could do and not do and just kind of played off of it a little bit. Even like the, the ending scene of this movie, which wasn't one of the better ending scenes of any movie with uh, the music that's playing with it, you know, it really sets you up. And I remember as a scene after 9-11, the year after that, you know, a lot of people left kind of feeling hopeful for things. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, this was a movie I saw when I was, what, 18 or so, 19, when I was really just starting to go to theaters to watch films that I realized were important, uh, just, you know, from reading about them in the newspapers and just going, okay, this is something I need to see. And getting to see wonderful performances by actors like Daniel Day-Lewis, Leonardo, we talk about his performance later, uh, but even guys like Brendan Gleeson, John C. Riley's in this. He's wonderful. But but seeing these people who are just wonderful actors and they're acting on these huge sets, there's a feeling of old Hollywood when you watch this film. The movie had a budget of something like $100 million. And 20 years ago, that goes a lot further. And not a whole lot of this budget was going towards CGI. There are some CGI effects. Um, Some of them work better than others. 
that there was just a lot of money being spent on production value in a way that I, I can't think of a whole lot of other films in the last 20 plus years uh, that are similar. You know, now everything's so much CGI. Right. You're not going to build giant sets like this. I mean, they built that Chinese theater. They built two full-sized ships just mm-hmm. to, to be in a makeshift you know a, a man-made harbor yeah there's something that really takes I mean, you out of anything here like you i think one of lusk's big things with movies is when you see the cgi and it pulls you out of the movie because you realize it's not real here there are a lot of the practical effects yeah I mean, it is real i mean they're they're really going through you know these uh these buildings and these places i mean uh and then he also makes use of uh, setting the different shots up through different alleyways, so that it seems like you're in a much bigger place than you even even in this you know such a huge giant set anyway. But he he establishes so many different uh, camera angles and views of this setting that uh, it seems that much bigger. I think like in the fight scenes, and there's the part where Tammany Hall sets fire to a building and won't put it out. You're on <laughs> ground level with them, and so you can kind of feel like you're in the crowd when this is going on. And like in the big fights, and at the end, when it's all smoke and fog, you're with DiCaprio, where you can't see like anybody around you until they come up into his, his face. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think this movie could have worked if they hadn't been able to do those set things practically. It wouldn't have worked as well anyway. No, because well, I think you'd, get the idea you'd, you'd, you'd see him like in the soundstage by himself, kind of. You, you'd get that feeling. Yeah, Scorsese worked on this for 20 years, and it does have the feeling of an older film. Just the, the script, the pacing of it. Yeah. Um, th- this seems like something. I, it definitely needed that time to work through some of the flaws and. I know famously Scorsese delivered a cut that was almost four hours long and (laughs) Harvey Weinstein really went at it with him to try and tighten up this film uh, down to its short running time of two hours and like 40 minutes or something. Well, didn't, didn't he not, didn't he not want to do a voiceover? uh, Scorsese. Yeah. He wanted to leave the voiceover out of it. But that's such a huge part of this movie that I mean I don't know if people would have been able to follow it or had the patience for it in the in the theater. But if you could see this thing reworked as a like if if he had the platform like you do now with Netflix or HBO or something to tell it long form, I guess you could get away without having that voiceover narration. But is that something that I think Scorsese feels is a weakness because so many of his other films also have voiceover. Um, Goodfellas, famously, Casino. Casino. Is it one of those, oh, well, Scorsese can't just tell a film and let the picture explain what's going on? I think with Casino and Goodfellas, that's technology that exists at the time. And I think a voiceover is something that's, um, you know, removed from the actual uh, experience of 1846. You know, you wouldn't have this disembodied voice communicating to you key plot points i think goodfellas i mean it makes it a little bit more artificial than it than in goodfellas or casino simply because you know that is based in the world where you know i guess tapes (laughs) exist and you know Mm -hmm. you're able to to record someone's voice and then play it over later not that that's how it works in goodfellas I, i i get that the the scenario of a voiceover narration is 
uh, I mean, it works the same way in both movies. I'm just saying that the technology for such a thing, I don't know, doesn't really make sense in a movie set in 1863 or whatever. Kind of Goodfellas, they use it because at the very end of it, it turns into him testifying, uh, Henry Hill testifying. So I think it works in that sense where, oh, this whole movie, he's kind of just testifying. And now we finally caught up with real time. Uh, and Casino plays it weird because Joe Pesci's in the middle of, te- of talking when he gets beat up <laughs> and it cuts him mm-hmm. off real quick. Yeah, this one is kind of weird because I know like Westerns and like the 60s and stuff that in, cart- in, in uh, TV shows would have narration. And I remember, I think it's in The Hateful Eight, you kind of get thrown off because it's halfway through, you get narrator come on. Tarantino narrates it halfway through the movie and that kind of comes out of nowhere. Oh, no, I mean, narration can definitely work in their tons of famous films that works real well in uh, Shawshank Redemption you know uh, other stuff but you have to be very careful with it and, well, and of, try and use it very sparingly I think when you start with it in the movie where you start with the narrator then you kind of just understand the narrator is going to come up a little bit like I don't remember you know, outside of the beginning and then the very end I don't remember a whole lot with the narrator narration oh that, it's all through it huh it's all through it it's yeah I, I think it kind of works though different from well i mean think think about it this way what if you took what if the voiceover narrator was daniel day lewis's character oh it makes a completely different film or yeah or or jim broadbent's boss tweet i mean if it comes from yeah if it comes from those guys right it's a completely different movie yeah so i wonder if you see without the narration whose side are you going to kind of be on would you see somebody would you see dicaprio as a hero uh or the protagonist if he wasn't narrating it I mean, he's not altogether all a good guy either. I don't know. A lot of times, narration can be a, a cheat. And it's a way of going, well, ah, I'm writing this scene and it's not quite there yet. These things aren't really clear. Oh, what if I just have a narrator explain these plot points? That's the to exposition, them? right? And it's just one of those, do you need to keep working the script? Uh, take a movie like Apollo 13. It's great at keeping you aware of everything that's going on in that film, all the technical details. There's no narration. There's no narrator. But that was a film, famously, that they had to spend a whole lot of time working on that script and really boiling it down. And I think at the end of the day, Scorsese was worried with this film that maybe he hadn't done enough to make things clear. Uh, supposedly, somewhere, there's a three-hour and like 30-minute cut of this film that has no narrator. And the people who've seen it have said that film works just as well, if not better than the cut that's commercially available to us. I don't know. Would you prefer to see it like that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, I just want to see it as, you know, what happens when you get a 30-minute longer cut of a film and right around the same time there's a movie, uh, Troy, the Wolfgang Peterson film, and there's a much longer cut of that film that I thought, you know, there's no way you need to add 45 minutes to this already bloated picture, but it really does make for a better viewing. So I'd like to see what happens with a longer version of this. Uh, you brought up the idea of, you know, Netflix doing this as a miniseries. Uh, I think that would be fantastic to get like oh. a six or eight part miniseries. There's a ton of stories to tell and, you know, to be able to spend more time with some of these characters. Absolutely. I'm, I'm telling you, they... You could remake this movie now and set it in uh, the border between Mexico and America. 
you could use the exact same language of the narration. You could say the exact same things, just change around the, uh, you know, the ethnicities. Mm. You could set it in 1980 or, or 84 around whenever, uh, Reagan had his first, uh, um, uh, uh, what he did with the immigrants when he, he gave them a free pass or, or what's it called? Oh, like with the Cubans, you mean? No, there was some, there's a there's a term for it. I can't think of it. My mind isn't in the right spot. He gave him amnesty. That's it. Okay. So set that as the starting point of the of the movie, and then you can tell the whole immigrant story, just you know, in a modern setting. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting. I mean, there there is a message there. So. Well, there's that. I think there's a couple scenes like that where you see the immigrants coming off the boat and. Um, um, what's his name? William Cutting, uh, Daniel Day Lewis's character, is uh, talking with Boss Tweed, and Boss Tweed's like, "I love it. Let's get more immigrants. We need them." He's like, "What have they ever done?" He goes, "They're going to vote. Vote. What have they built? What have they done for me?" There's no, you know, it's just two very different viewpoints of what immigration, immigrants, and immigration can do for America. You know, Boss Tweed only wants them to vote for him, and. And like the U.S. government wants them, and that's I like that part in the movie where the Marines are coming off the boat, and it's like here you can register to be a citizen like right away, and then the next table is here register for the army. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Tweed actually did that stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. Like they're, the, they're, the stuff with the uh, with the fire department. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know the gangs and the. Well, it's, it's in the U.S. history together. curriculum uh, on the SWL. You talk about Boss Tweed and the corrupt stuff. And I've never shown this whole movie, obviously, in school, but I have shown the clips of Boss Tweed, like, registering people to vote and, like, the immigrants coming off the boat and enlisting right into the army just to show the kids, like, this is kind of, you know, it's Boss Tweed is this guy. This is what happened. And that's why you've got these two different viewpoints where, you know, they like the Irish immigrants because at least they spoke English to some extent uh, more than, like, even, like, the Italian immigrants and stuff. It was just a very different, you know, obviously, mindset back then. Of uh, like what counted as being white, you know, back then in the 1800s, uh, being uh, like Italian or being Irish didn't necessarily count you as white because you weren't Protestant, you were Catholic, and they saw it much more based off religion than you know skin color and what made you you know what was a racial issue. Well, in this movie, do you like the uh, character of Jenny Everdeen played by Cameron Diaz? No, uh, for some reason, Cameron Diaz, who I normally like in pictures, her character just doesn't work. It feels really tacked on. It seems a lot of stunt casting for her. Like, I'd have to look back to see kind of, I don't know if like the Charlie's Angels movies were out at this point, you know, because like you said, I I like her in a lot, like in Vanilla Sky, I like her and some other ones, but this seemed like, oh, she's big right now, so let's go put her in this movie. Yeah, I think a lot of the same could be said about Leonardo DiCaprio. I know you guys are both big on Leo. Tony, you made the claim that this was really where he showed he could act. I didn't think he was terribly effective in this film. I think he was trying to show, look, I can be a real serious actor. He has another film from 2002, Catch Me If You Can, where I think he's a lot more successful, even though there's a lot of cult of personality with that film. Um I think it's a, almost 10 years before Leo really shows that he's got better acting chops. Yeah, because um, I, uh, I think The Departed, which is a couple of years after this, he really hits it. And this is where he starts with, uh, you know, this is his first Scorsese movie, and they've done, what, four or five movies together since then. 
Yeah, they would do three straight films together. Gains of New York, uh, the, Avi- the Aviator, and The Departed. Right. Also known as Avatar. <laughs> the Avatar. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and then even like Shutter Island, which great. is a little bit different from this. Um, you know, he did that. Well, he was- he was he was good in this movie. He was great in The Aviator, and he was in almost every scene of The Aviator, and he carried that movie for almost three hours. I, I mean, I, yeah, his performance awesome is in, better uh, in Aviator. Catch me if you can. Sorry. Yeah, his performance in Aviator is better, but it was almost one of those: is he better if he is embodying uh, a historical figure, or you know, can he really create a character from scratch? Yeah, can he? Walk, I think that was kind of the knock on him at this time. Yeah, because even like uh, Catch Me If You Can, he's playing a real guy that was still alive, so he could talk to him and interview him and get kind of you know drop into that character because you can see who that guy is yeah but nobody else knows who he is i mean he wasn't i don't i don't even know even with howard hughes that he was he was doing a a uh, caricature of him or uh or you know what is it called <laughs> again impersonation an impersonation yeah jeez yeah, language man it's tough <laughs> yeah I, I don't know i i feel like in the last five years DiCaprio has gotten better at creating these larger-than-life characters. Um, you know, really liked him in Django Unchained, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Same thing. I, I felt like those were characters he created and he built up. And I appreciate those performances more. Some of these um, more actorly roles, I, I haven't been as big on. I know, Lusk, you know, you famously called him winning... Uh, the best actor for the revenant more than a year out right yes and and i'll still disagree with you that his acting's not that great in that film because yeah he looks miserable and cold but in real life he was miserable and cold you've made this point several times but the oscar still remains on the shelf yeah well so to me this 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 film is right where we start to disagree about leonardo dicaprio (laughs) i mean do you remember if this is when you really start to take notice of him? Uh, no, actually, probably this boy's life was the first time I really noticed him as an as an actor. I mean, he went toe to toe with De Niro in that movie. Yeah, he was good mm-hmm. in that. And I remember yeah. you know, growing up; these were this is after Titanic. This is after like Romeo and Juliet. So he was really like this teeny bopper. Like my sister loved him, type of a guy. That so I hated him. But then I see him in this movie. It's like, oh, he's not the cute boy anymore. Yeah, have you seen This Boy's Life? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, with him, he's he's uh, Toby, and he's uh, you know, De Niro's Dwight. I have not seen that one. Oh, yeah, I think you'd really like it, man. It's, um, oh, uh, who's the author? Tobias Wolf. Tobias Wolf. Yeah, De Niro's a real SOB in that, too. He plays his stepfather. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a good movie. He makes, he makes DiCaprio get a paper route and then keeps the money for himself. To say I'm, I'm putting it in the bank for you. I'm putting it in the bank for you. There's a, a, if, if you do see it in the short future, uh, there's a scene with a Boy Scout uh, outfit. Yeah, that's really it sort of sums it up. That's yeah, really kind of uh, funny. It's, it's like from that point on, there's no redeeming qualities about De Niro's character. <laughs> right. Um, speaking of which, the two this is you mentioned Kings of New York was like a 20 year film. I think it was at one point they were, uh, Scorsese looked about doing it with uh, De Niro as DiCaprio's character, 
uh, like in the 70s or the 80s. And then in the 90s, he was going to play Daniel Day-Lewis's character, but then he got too old for it after that. But you can kind of see, this is where like bring up with Cameron Diaz, where you can kind of see like if this was made back in the 70s or the 80s, it would have been like a De Niro, Meryl Streep. And I, I don't know who the third guy would have been. But you could see, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, well, it could be, and you would see that type of a character. You know, you could see where De Niro. I mean, uh, Scorsese's got his type of people and type of actors that he likes, and he's going to put them in any movie he can. Mm-hmm. Have you read um, also the nonfiction book that this is based on? Not this one. I've I've read some of them in in the high school, like in the college and stuff, but not not specifically this one. It's, I mean, it tells these little vignettes and stories i mean he made some stuff up i think the screenwriter for this is jay cox and uh along with scorsese i think he has a writing credit but they changed a lot from uh, i mean they didn't have to change a lot from the actual stories of the time period i mean that's pretty much how violent and yeah packed in the people were and you know they would take they would have these gang fights and they would take ears and noses for right. souvenirs uh, I mean, some people would actually pay for drinks with ears and noses. Yeah. In, from, in bars. from the other gangs that were just a couple of streets over. Right, and they had those names, you know, the Dead the, Rabbits and Dead all Rabbits that. and mm-hmm. the yeah, the Plug Uglies and the Heeb Street Hooligans or whatever. Well, and so well, funny because New York City is a lot of ways still not the gang violence necessarily, but it's very sectional where. Uh, I was thinking about this when I was watching some of the Marvel show, shows on Netflix, like Luke Cage, which takes place in Harlem, and like uh, Jessica Jones and uh, Daredevil, which is in Hell's Kitchen. They're all within a mile or two of each other, just a couple of blocks, but you really don't cross over into other neighborhoods in New York, especially like at, the, at this time period, up into the 70s and the 80s. You stayed in your block. You didn't go anywhere else. Well, and Hell's Kitchen is small. It's like three or four blocks. So right. It's not... That big, because I, I, I can always remember being impressed. Oh, Daredevil can hear everything that's going on in Hell's Kitchen. And then when you actually see the size of it, it's like, yeah, so can everyone else. Yeah, if you really wanted to. Um, but yeah, this is you know, just interesting. The other one I, I, I clip I show for kids uh, about the uh, boss tweet in this time period is what they're, they're voting. And uh, they're going to vote for... Uh, Gleason's character to be the sheriff and they're having the guys going in and getting shaved and that, you know then getting like a buzz cut because you would do that you'd shave the guy's head you know shave the guy's beard off and then he'd go vote a second time and there's a part where they're talking about Boston it's like hey we're out of voting ballots he goes hey ballots don't count the counters count like have them keep counting right. doesn't Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, you, drug you, you've won by more of a margin than there are a number of voters yeah. <laughs> it's like 300 ahead we'll make it 400 it's possible that um, Edgar Allan Poe was a victim of uh, one of those types of uh, voting scandals where they had him, drugged him up and had him vote in multiple locations. Is that what they said? Killed him? Or? In Baltimore. No, he just, you know, they had, they drugged him so heavily and got him drunk. So, and then, you know, people were just dumped out on the streets. So that may have contributed to his early death. It might have been a voting uh <laughs> Another voting-related accident. Yes. All right. So also, we're... I learned somewhere that um, Billy the Kid apparently was uh, the son of a di- uh, Irish immigrants, and he was about four years old when the uh, when the the conscription the draft riots riots were going on. Yeah. So he was actually living in Five Points. And, 
hmm. during he probably he might have re, been he might have remembered some of those riots from 1863 well, and then he escaped i guess his mother left or hopefully it didn't have too much of an impact on his view of violence yeah <laughs> yeah in terms of psychology <laughs> reveals quite a bit well well for me this is one of scorsese's most successful pictures uh, I definitely have this in my top three. Uh, I think on the previous show I said uh, "Color of Money" is probably my fame or my favorite Scorsese film, and I'm not sure where I'd put it in the three spot. Uh, where does this rank among Scorsese films for you guys? As we come to a close on our retrospective on Martin Scorsese, probably top five for, for me. It's probably number five. I probably have it third after the departed maybe i probably have raging bull first and then and then this no i, I i'm not sure because i you know taxi drivers up there too it depends on my mood you know yeah raging so, bull is definitely first so there are seven films in your top three <laughs> yeah my top that's <laughs> exactly no i would i would put this in the top five at least somewhere in the top five yeah i was looking at because the, the three we picked here who's that knocking on my door and then uh, goodfellas and then this one you know from 67 to 90 to 2002 like he there is a big like you can see shifts in what he was doing what he was able to do and i think to your point bull gangsta new york is really the start of you get to this the aviator departed where you have these big movies like wolf of wall street these huge kind of all-encompassing movies that cover a lot of ground mm-hmm. uh, even silence and you know even you know as much as we've we've uh you know beat down on the irishman you know that's a massive topic to take on and just a huge kind of scope and uh you know would have been you know different to see in the movie theaters i think than from seeing it on the uh, netflix oh yeah no it's Silence was a good movie going experience. It was, it was pretty intense to see in the theaters. I saw it in the theaters. So, yeah, uh, the, the, it makes the, a big difference. G- Gangs of New York is definitely kicking off uh, the current era. I think of Scorsese films. Um, likewise, you could say it's kind of bringing to a close. You know, the last era of Scorsese films, uh, being in two thousand two. Um, He's gotten a lot more CGI. The way you make films is different. Uh, I th- think this was the second to last film he did, di- or he did on film. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what he did with um, the Aviator, The Departed. I, I I think the Aviator Aviator he did on film, but I want to say The Departed, at least parts of it were digital. Yeah, and Shutter Island. I, I'd have to go check. Remember. Shutter Island's probably all digital to the most part because of just how where the movie takes place. Like it'd be very hard mm-hmm. to create that. I'm very excited for his next movie, which is another collaboration with Leonardo DiCaprio. The Devil in the White City. Uh, no, I think I don't think he's doing Scorsese's not doing Devil in the White City. DiCaprio is. Okay. But Scorsese. I don't think he's doing Devil in the White City. I do know that he's doing Flowers of the August Moon. Right, right. Or I don't know if it's going to be called that, but it was based on that book. And that's a very interesting um, time period in our history. I think De Niro's going to be in that, too. Oh, that would be good, too. Another collaboration with these guys. Which I think would be because DiCaprio and De Niro have done a couple of movies together. And then, you know, obviously Scorsese, but I don't think they've all done one together. Hmm. Yeah, you're probably right. So that's yeah. the one I'm looking forward to. I like it. Well... 
I, I'm glad that we were able to gather here. Uh, we're filming this right at the beginning of uh, 2020. Uh, we were able to look at three films. It was good getting you guys together to uh, do this little mini review of Scorsese films and some that are really well known, others not so much. And I think for a lot of our students, I, I don't know that they've seen something like Gangs in New York. It's one of those that's just old enough where it's kind of hidden from view. Right. So, but I can see, uh, yeah, I can see Gangs in New York being a lot of people like again, you and I both saw this in high school. Like mm -hmm. a lot of high school seniors wouldn't have liked this. A lot of people our age probably wouldn't have gotten a lot out of it, you know, around this time because these are like when the Harry Potter movies were coming out and like the Lord of the Rings movies. So this is kind of a different type of a movie. Yeah, but no, I'm glad that we were able to do it. I, I've enjoyed doing this. Um, probably our listeners are hearing this podcast coming out and towards the end of February, I'd say. We've been pretty good about releasing a podcast a week in 2020. I don't think we're going to be able to keep up that, but uh, if members of our, of our audience have other classic films that they'd like to hear us review after listening to these last six that we've done, uh, we're all ears. You know, We definitely want ideas of what we should be covering. So, uh, Any last thoughts, guys? Uh, no, man. It's been fun. I'm enjoying getting back into talking about movies with two of you people. I am too. Well, then I leave you with these words. There be dragons. Pox said boning, everybody. What did you think of today's show? Did the guys get it right? Or are you wondering what movie they watched? Send in your review by tweeting at CSD Podcast, emailing cinemasitdown at gmail.com, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash cinemasitdown. Cinema Sit Down is a Flying Bull production.